Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Moving Screen NBA podcast. It has been too long. Wes and I apologize for the big break, but we had scheduling conflicts, we had sickness, we had life occurrences. So we are here now. We will keep the schedule going from here on out. But Wes, we're back. How you doing, man? Doing good. You know, I've just been hanging out with Mike Breen and Jeff Van Gamdy too much. So, um, you know, <laughs> those life occurrences and then sicknesses, I'm, I'm happy to be back. And like you said, us uh, as a pairing, this is what we love to do. And just big time shout out here, man. This is episode number 50 for us, the big 5-0. So we're like partial way to retirement, uh, if, if that counts wow. in those uh, grand numbers. But uh, congrats, man. 50 episodes. This is big time. Wow, 50 episodes. That's awesome. I, I, I uh, had forgotten that it's been, we, we were, hadn't said the last episode, but then it's been so long, I kind of forgot. 50 episodes, huge number. We weren't sure we were going to get off the ground with this thing. <laughs> and now we are over a year in, once a week, just about. It's been awesome. I'm having a great time. Same here, man. So we are going to keep it rolling and we appreciate all those listeners. Shout out to the fans and Let's get to it, man. It's uh, the last stretch here of the NBA season. Last stretch. We just had, of course, game one of the NBA Finals, which we will get to. But since it's been a bit since we talked, let's just go real quick through what happened, how we got here. Uh, starting with the Western Conference Finals, of course, was the Warriors versus the Mavericks. Warriors took down the Mavericks in that classic gentleman's sweep, win the first three games, lose game four. But then, of course, close it out in game five. Yeah, and I mean, after you could say probably the first game, you thought, okay, this looks like a bit of a mismatch. Like the Warriors are, are too much to handle for for Luka, the Don, and, and his you know compadres here in Dallas. But, I mean, this was just a complete show that Luka put on for us. Everyone who watches the NBA, we know how good Luka is. And this just allowed the rest of the world, the rest of the, you know, casual fans and the audience to truly understand how special of a player Luka Doncic is at this very young age. Yeah, Luka Doncic has arrived as a true, true top level superstar. Uh, He averaged 32 points, nine rebounds, six assists in the series. Uh, Also had over a steal and a block. But he all, he showed what he can do back to back games, scoring 40 or more. He had 42 and then 40. He was just completely awesome. Clearly the best player in the series. But the Warriors had overall talent, overall depth that just far outclassed the Mavericks. Yeah, and I think what we saw in the series was the good of Luca and the bad of Luca. Um, you know, you it the Warriors played what seemed like solid defense, you know, on Luka Doncic. Uh, Wiggins, you know, matched up very well against him. Um, They held Luka Doncic to 41% shooting from the field, 34% shooting from deep. But then he still dropped those numbers that you just went out with. 32 points a game, nine boards, six assists. And you're like, I thought we were doing well, but this guy's still just going absolutely insane at will. But then you see some of the bad of Luca as far as it's very obvious that he needs to get in better shape. It's extremely clear. It was talked about during the you know midst of the regular season, and he kind of worked his way into shape. But 
there's no doubt about it that Luca is a, a top 10 player here in the NBA, but his ceiling is number one player here in the NBA. He can absolutely be the the best player here in the association. And what that's going to come down to is commitment. Does he want to get in that type of shape? Because that's what we saw here, you know, similarly with Nikola Jokic. He was a great player, but he was a bit out of shape. You know, these last two years, he's really, you can see, put some work into his body. And guess what? Back-to-back MVPs, arguably the best player in the NBA. Luka has that same ability. So you might chalk that up just to age. He's young, 23 years old. He's clearly extremely talented to where he can get away with not being in the tip-top shape. But if he commits, he can absolutely be the best player in the NBA for the next seven, eight years, unquestioned. I completely agree. I mean, you're right about the age. Let's face it, this guy's never really been through much struggle in his basketball career. He was the wonder boy coming into the league. He was the MVP and champion of the Spanish League at like 18 years old, best player in all of Europe. Uh, He hasn't had to do this extra work to to be at the top. And now, finally, they make a nice run in the playoffs. They win a couple rounds. His first playoff round wins. Then he sees what's really there at the top, and that's top-level competition, top-level defenses. You mentioned Wiggins, who probably played his best series as a professional uh, against the Mavericks, uh, including that monster poster over Doncic. Amazing dunk. But you're right. I just thought of Nikola Jokic right before you said it. Transformed his body at least a little bit, get into that better shape, be able to play longer minutes. Jokic startles me every time he plays those 45 minute games it's like how can this guy survive but he has that uh endurance and you know maybe he's not going to be a greek god like Giannis or you know just completely chiseled like lebron kind of guy but he's got great height super strong and if he just gets a little bit more fit he can make even more strides than he's already shown which is amazing as it is yeah and i totally agree with you it's going to be To me, it's very similar. I think we see this a lot with the European players. They come over, and I don't think it's really built into their brain overseas to hit the gym, to be that type of, um, you know, desire to be a great player. I don't think that's the way the game's played over there. And then we've seen it, like you mentioned, from Giannis, um, Porzingis even putting the work in on his body, obviously Jokic. But I completely agree. I don't think we're ever going to see Doncic chiseled. I think he just needs the endurance. He needs the the gas to get those extra few minutes in to be able to compete on the defensive end because what we did see in the series was a lack of effort defensively, and he was getting blown by very easily quite too often. Um, and, you know, that's just partially because he had to do a lot offensively, so he needs to find that good balance. I don't think that he is not going to put in the work I think it's just he's now realizing if he wants to be that type of player, the number one guy, get to the finals, that's the next step for him. So I'm really excited for what he can be next year. Yeah, and the defensive end especially, like you said, is where like the highest level of growth could come uh, from his game. But he's going to need a lot more support than he got in this series. You know, the Mavs could not hit many of their threes. They got hot early in the series and then kind of faded out they were missing everything 
Luca creates open threes like just as easily as anyone in the league, but these guys were not hitting. Bullock had a game 0 for 10 from the floor, 0 for 7 from three in the series. They also could not rebound. They you know, they've been doing that five out offense, which is which is great for Luca to create shots, but it leaves that defensive end pretty open on those defensive boards. You saw Kavon Looney had some of the best moments of his career against the Mavericks, uh, along with Wiggins. Those two guys lead the playoffs in offensive rebounds. Much of it was done against this Mavericks team. So Luca's got his own work to do, but this roster in Dallas also needs a lot of help. Yeah, then there's a lot of rumors going around this team as far as what direction they're going to go. You know, obviously one of the biggest question marks is probably surrounding Jalen Brunson. He's a free agent this offseason. You know, all the rumors and reports are that they're going to be wanting to bring him back. It would be hard to go against that that mindset. But if they do, that really locks this team up financially. And with that being the case, we've already talked about it here. This isn't the best supporting cast. So if you've already locked up all your money with this roster, where else are you going to improve? They don't have a lot of other young pieces to where you can have that internal growth. So are they just going to be making moves around, you know, that the edges here? Are they going to make some sort of monster trade and try to, you know, bring someone else in? I've seen, you know, rumors flying around here of a Zach Levine possible sign and trade deal. I don't know. But what you do know is you have an absolute superstar here in Luca, and they need to start building around him ASAP. Zach Levine would be electric uh, next to Luca if that if they could pull that off. But yeah, I think it has to be something like that, where kind of the Chris Paul deal to the Suns, where a guy wants out of a situation, but he specifically targets the end team, in this case, Dallas. And who wouldn't want to play with Luca at this point? Uh, so that has to almost be the the way, because like you said, they're they're filled up on their cap. They have a lot of different contracts. Hardaway, who missed you know most of the season, he has a pretty sizable contract. They brought in Dinwiddie. Yeah, you mentioned Jalen Brunson's about to get paid big money, uh, and they kind of need to bring him back to keep that asset at the very least. So a lot of questions going into the offseason for Dallas. But, man, this was a nice win for the Warriors, who I mentioned. Wiggins, probably his best ball of his career. Looney, same so they did it. Not only the stars, of course, Curry was awesome, but the supporting cast especially took this series. Yeah, and it was good to see. And, you know, with the Warriors closing out this series, um, they were able to pick up their 200th career playoff win as a franchise for the Golden State Warriors. And they are now only one of five NBA franchises in the history of the NBA to have 200 career playoff wins. And I'm going to throw this question out to you. Can you guess, can you name the other four franchises that would join the Warriors to make that five with 200 career playoff wins? Okay, we got Lakers, Celtics, and we got Bulls. Not the Bulls. I, Bulls, that's, Bulls is not one? Bulls is not one. And when I went and guessed it, I absolutely put the Bulls in there because I'm like, oh, MJ, for sure. But the Bulls are not one of them. Okay, so Lakers, Celtics, Heat? Nope. Oh, damn. Who we got? Who we got? So so we have the Warriors. We have the Lakers, the Celtics. We have the Spurs. Oh, and right. we have the Philadelphia 76ers as the number five team. So for me, that was the team I did not get. 
got to pay homage to the San Antonio Spurs and their, you know, level of excellence here over that decade. But um, this is just impressive. You know, this just shows the longevity of, of success for those teams um, here in the NBA. You could say the model franchises for sure right now here in the association. Spurs, I should have gotten for sure. Uh, yeah, that's that's awesome to be in that company, especially with how long they were out of the playoffs before this Curry era started. So huge milestone there. Uh, another milestone happened uh, in, the, in these playoffs is Clay Thompson passed LeBron James for second all time and made playoff threes. So now the Warriors have Curry and Clay one, two in career playoff threes made. I mean, Mark Jackson looks like a genius now here with yep. his statements as far as the best shooting backcourt in NBA history. Um, there's no question about it. It's been proven here over the last you know, decade. And now, obviously, it's in the record books here in playoff basketball. So um, it's exciting to see. Uh, I think all viewers here of the NBA game are excited to see Clay back, just the perseverance and the heart to get back to this level. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure we all know he's not fully back yet, but even uh, not 100% Clay is still a hell of a player. But in order for the Warriors to win here in the finals, they're going to need Clay to have some flashbacks of that elite self that we know is somewhere deep inside. Yeah, more to come on Clay uh, as we get to game one later. But um, again, a nice win here for the Warriors. Even Moses Moody uh, had some good moments in that series. So uh, all the things that we lauded the Suns for, such as playing with poise, playing together, finishing games, people knowing their roles, all the things we thought the Suns were about with those, that's what the Warriors have been doing in these playoffs going into the finals. And um, after that Mavericks series ended, they had not yet lost a home game. Uh, so you were right. The winner of the Grizzlies-Warriors series made the finals. Nice call there, uh, real early. Uh, but in the East, the Heat did take the Celtics to seven games in a really weird series. But unfortunately for them, Udonis Haslam could not lead them <laughs> to the finals. And they fell just short in Game 7. I mean, this was a great series, great Game 7. But... As you mentioned, this was just a bit of an odd series. There are very few close games, a bunch of blowouts. It seemed like the Celtics were going to close this out in six. They had a home game in Boston, and they could not do it. Um, Jimmy Butler was just spectacular in game six here for the Miami Heat, especially after what we had seen prior for the last couple games, because it was like, uh-oh, his knee's bothering him. He doesn't have it. The Heat are going to sink. And then all of a sudden... He goes 47 points in 46 minutes in Game 6 and then follows it up with another uh, heroic effort here in Game 7, playing all 48 minutes, dropping 35 points. So he played all but two possible minutes over the last two games. That's some Kevin Durant shit that he was trying to pull out there on the court. And they needed it because watching this series, this heat, Offense was extremely limited, and it was honestly a bit embarrassing to see how limited they were, and the Celtics closed out. They did what they should have done. They were the better team. They deserved to be here in the finals. I agree. I thought they should have even won earlier in the series, but you mentioned the Butler heroics. That game six performance was about as good as it can get. I mean, that's top, top tier level stuff uh, that he pulled in that game. 
Uh, he also had that 41 points in game one. So he had two 40-point games in the series. That's his. That now makes him six games as a Heat in the playoffs with 40 points or more. In that time, he hasn't done it in the regular season even once. So he's just saving everything for the playoffs. And he gets those super highs. But also, you mentioned that huge dip in the middle of the series. Lack of consistency here. Game three, he looked banged up. Played just under 20 minutes. Only eight points. Game four, the Celtics dominate by 20. Butler plays just under 28 minutes. He goes a minus 30 in the game. Only six points, seven rebounds on three of 14 shooting. And then again, game five. Butler plays 40 minutes, but he only goes four for 18 from the floor. 13 points. Super weird series for Jimmy Butler. But man, those... High performances keeps him at those, you know, up in those rankings. But that consistency is why he's not one of the top, top tier guys. Yeah. And it, this is why, you know, some people hate on a Jimmy Butler or aren't fans of him, maybe because of the injury concerns. And as you said, the elite consistency. But he leads all players this postseason in 40 point games. He's got four 40 point games this postseason alone. You know, Giannis and Luca are. It, you know, trailing him with with three 40 point games. So he did everything he possibly could to help the Heat survive. But the big question to mark for the Heat is where is the rest of this this kennel? Where is the rest of that <laughs> roster? Like where is Kyle Lowry in this series? He averaged nine points and four assists on 26 percent shooting from beyond the arc. This was a huge signing for them in the offseason. And Lowry was a huge disappointment as far as stepping up, being aggressive, and actually trying to help his team win. It was very clear they needed help offensively, and he just didn't seem to have the aggression to commit to the rest of his teammates. Not only did he not help the team win, he might have single-handedly lost a game or two in this series. He had zero points one rebound, zero assists in 25 minutes in game five, 0 for 6 from the floor. He was just an absolute disaster. Coach Spo hung on too long with him in the lineup, I think. But the problem was Tyler Hero was missing games. He was he was still banged up when he returned uh, late in the series, so he was not there to be found. And Max Struess put up one of the worst back-to-back performances you will ever see in any basketball stat lines. My line of the week, I'm bringing it back because this is so key here. Game five, Max Strews, 20 minutes, 0 for 9 from the floor, 0 for 7 from 3. He gets four points, three fouls, a minus 16 in 13 minutes. But that's not all because in the game, that was game five, the previous game in game four, Celtics win by 20. Max Strews plays just 15 minutes. He puts up 0 for 7 from the floor, 0 for 4 from 3, 0 rebounds, 0 assists, 0 steals, 0 blocks. Didn't even turn the ball over, fortunately, but he did have 3 fouls. A minus 33 in 15 minutes. He didn't make a shot for two consecutive games. 
as I mentioned here, this was a very limited Miami Heat offense. Um, we we know Struess can can rein in threes, but that's all he was able to do. He was you could see him. He's just running around picks like uh, Duncan Robinson would do, and would try to get a jump shot, but it just wasn't falling for him. It was a rough series. It showed his limitations as far as creating off the dribble, his foot speed, his lat you know uh, lateral movement. A lot of that was extremely visible against the athletic wings that Boston Celtics have to throw out there with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who are upper echelon athletes here in the NBA. So that contrast was extremely apparent. Um, but also for the Heat, you know, where was Bam Adebayo? We're talking about inconsistency. He's another player we need to bring up. Only averaged 15 points per game, eight rebounds in this series. He only had three games in this seven-game series that he took more than 10 field goal attempts. That's unacceptable for someone who's supposed to be part of their big three, a focal point of their offense, a main hub of their offense. Once again, they needed more players to be aggressive and help Jimmy Butler take some weight off him, You know, be a true team that they showed all season long. And a lot of guys just disappeared and evaporated here at the most crucial time for the Miami Heat. Yeah, I agree with you on Bam. I was I was kind of finally ready to turn the corner on him, be a be a supporter as a you know a really high level guy. But in 18 playoff games this year, just 14.8 points, eight rebounds, and 2.7 assists a game in 34 minutes. You would hope for a lot more than that. He had nearly identical stats to those full playoff uh, stats in this Celtics series as well. So it's pretty consistent in, at those numbers. You just need a lot more from that. Obviously, we know he's a defensive guy first, but if he's going to be a true star, we're going to need a lot more than less than 15 points a game. And um, and yeah, he just hasn't shown it. The whole team failed to show it. And that that's what's so surprising that they even got to game seven and a close game seven at that. Yeah, I mean, this was down to the last shot. You know, Jimmy Butler pulling up in transition for that three. I, you know, a lot of people said they live and die with that shot. They they would okay with it. I wasn't okay with that shot. I mean, he's not a three-point shooter. But I think what it really showed was the desperation of the Miami Heat because they knew they shouldn't have been in this series and they knew that they weren't favored to win. So they were going for the throat. They were going for the kill shot just to make it to the finals. I feel that's why Jimmy Butler took that three. I mean, they have a lot of questions themselves here going into the offseason. You know, what are they going to do with Tyler Hero? I think he's up for, you know, a possible contract extension here. Um, we have... P.J. Tucker, who's got a $7.5 million player option. Does he opt out? Does he resign? Uh, what's going to happen with your boy Udonis Haslam? You know, he's talking about mulling retirement. Fuck, man, this guy's <laughs> been in retirement for the last three seasons. He's about to be 40. He's going to be 42 years old. What else does he need to be around here for? He's a call it quits, move directly into the front office, which they're saying they have an open cabinet position for him. Hashtag time to retire. Yeah, I've seen too much of Haslam. Uh, this playoffs, this season, last season, the season before. Yeah, we've just seen he's just hung around way too long. He might stick around just because he's been listening to this podcast and he wants to, you know, stick it to us, which I will accept it if he subscribes to the pod. So please, UD, if you want to do that, I'll, I'll forgive you. But 
man, it's it's crazy how this turned out uh, for the Heat. But that Butler three-point attempt, I to your point about the desperation, like you said, he had played all 48 minutes in the game. He didn't want to drive in, tie the game up, and go into OT and go 53 straight minutes of playing time. I thought it was a terrible shot. As you mentioned, he's not a good three-point shooter. He's such a good driver and finisher at the cup. I thought it was clearly a play to drive in. There's also a lot of time left, but he went for it. You know, hero ball for the win, fell short, and the Celtics move on to the finals. Quick note, Derek White during the series had a son, named him Hendrix, but Robert Williams already has a son named Hendrix on the team. What is going on with these Celtics? This random name Hendrix, and two of them have a son named Hendrix. Well, clearly they're Jimi Hendrix fans, which I'm a full supporter of. So as long as it's the uh, spelling with the X, as far as Hendrix closes out, I'm all for it. But, you know, speaking of Derek White, he's been a new man since he's had the baby. You know, the stats show it. I, I believe he was averaging just under seven points per game and shooting under 30% from beyond the arc in the 12 playoff games prior to the newborn. Since the newborn, he's averaging over 13 points per game and shooting something ridiculous like 43% from deep. So he's feeling charged up. He's a proud pop out here, and it's clearly showing here for the Boston Celtics. He's been a huge uh, contributor to them. Uh, they took game one in a surprise. They Celtics win 120 to 108 in San Francisco in game one after a 40 to 16 fourth quarter. And it was really 40 to 13 uh, before everyone was pulled. So a major dominant fourth quarter by the Celtics. The Warriors were up 15 with less than two minutes left in the third, but the Celtics come in to the fourth, hit their first seven threes of the quarter and steal this one in San Francisco. Yeah, and he's speaking of that fourth quarter here. I was feeling okay in a pretty good position where the Warriors were heading into that fourth quarter. You know, Curry came out firing. He was on fire to start this game. 21 points in the first quarter. Six threes he made, which was an NBA Finals record for threes in a quarter. With all that being said, Boston was only down four after the first quarter. They're up at halftime, and you're like, wow, Curry played fantastic, and Boston's still in this game. Third quarter rolls around. And Warriors stick it to them like they do to almost every team in the third quarter. Just blow it up, up double digits heading into the fourth. You feel pretty good as a Warriors fan. But then you said it here. The Celtics just onslaught. Nine threes they made in the fourth quarter. That's an NBA Finals record. And a lot of that was guys that weren't the main stars. Um, Derek White, as we mentioned, he was unbelievable here as we look at you know some of the uh, stats here in the box score, five of eight from beyond the arc, a plus 25 for the game, 21 points off the bench. I thought he hit some huge clutch threes for them to keep that momentum going. But Al Horford was also just an absolute monster. Hashtag Olympic Al. I mean, this is what <laughs> you see from Horford for the Dominican Republic you know, when he plays that he's got this type of aggression, but he's very passive here in the pros, but six of eight 
from Beyond the Arc was Al Horford, which for him, career-high threes made in the game. You know, Draymond brought this up. Between Derek White, Marcus Smart, and Al Horford, they were 15 of 23 from the land of plenty. I don't know if they can duplicate that, but that's a huge reason the Celtics were able just to completely slaughter the Warriors here in the fourth quarter. I agree that it's probably not uh, able to be replicated with those three guys, but Jalen Brown, two for eight from three. Jason Tatum, three for 17 from the floor, one for five from three. So you'd expect that balance out a little bit. Maybe the stars hit a few more. Maybe the supporting cast hits a few less. So I I know that the Celtics shot an amazing 51%, 21 for 41 from three. But I thought they had a ton of open looks, and I thought the Warriors' defense was pretty lacking, especially on the perimeter. Um, Warriors shot great themselves, 42% from three off 19 of 45. So this was actually the NBA Finals record for most combined makes uh, from three, and we saw it all night long. One team would hit one, the other team would go down and hit and hit another. So it was crazy. You mentioned Horford's career high. Today, Horford turns 36. Uh, shout out to Horford's birthday today. Uh, hell of a way to, to celebrate after that performance, possibly the game of his career. Um, and man, it was it was all about that fourth. Again, Celtics, a 17-0 run in that fourth. The Warriors were playing scared. They were giving up wide-open threes. Draymond was out here committing terrible offensive fouls. And then he finally gets to the line to break the, the, the run. I believe it was, it was 11 or 13-0 at that point. Misses both free throws, and the run continues. So it ended up being a five-minute stretch, scoreless, for the Warriors in that fourth. And Celtics take it to move to 8-2, and two on the road in these playoffs as the Warriors just lost their first home loss. Yeah, and you mentioned a few things here. Eight and two on the road for the Boston Celtics is extremely impressive in hostile environments. And the Warriors, this was the first loss for them at home in the entire postseason. So as I mentioned, after three quarters, you're feeling pretty good as a Warriors fan. We're in a good spot. You have a bit of a cushion. And the Celtics just continued to play fantastic team basketball. I think that's what we saw. You talked about these other rotation players, guys getting open looks. Jason Tatum did an amazing job moving off the ball, facilitating, and these guys were getting open looks, and they just cashed in time again after time again. Um, And like I said, Horford here was, was just miraculous. Um, Just a fun fact here on some contract details for your boy Al Horford. He has a $26.5 million contract for next season that that was only partially guaranteed for $14.5 million. Their kicker just hit for him now that they made the NBA Finals. He is now guaranteed $19.5 million for next season. So a $5 million increase for making the finals. If the Boston Celtics win the finals, that contract becomes fully guaranteed for $26.5 million. So there's reason that Horford is playing lights out 
He's about to pick up possibly an extra $12 million in guaranteed money moving into next season. Go for it, Al. Go for it, Big Al. That's incredible. He's actually playing probably the best ball of his career at this old age, and he's had a great career. I mean, on defense, he's first in shots contested, first in field goal percentage allowed, and then on offense, he's second in three-point shooting in the whole playoffs, and he's the only player shooting 50% from the floor, 45% from three. So he's just been awesome throughout the playoffs. And it's one of those things where you kind of thought he was going to wear down um, as they were going along against the Celtics, uh, against the Bucks rather. And then he continues it throughout the Bucks, through the Heat, and now in game one. Uh, really impressive stuff from Horford. I love what I'm seeing. And then as far as Tatum, you mentioned it. His passing, it's what I harped on a couple weeks ago when I was giving him all those props as now a true, true fire superstar. This is what it takes to be a superstar. You're not hitting any of your shots, but he ends up with 13 assists. Many of them were those three-point shots that were lighting up this Warriors defense. Yeah, and the 13 assists to go along with only two turnovers. So we had seen prior... In the playoffs, he would have very high turnover games, seven, eight turnovers in the game. But a 13 to 2 ratio, that's amazing for a very young player who is now stepping into that distributor creator role. Um, It was very impressive to see him find alternate ways to be effective for his team. But as we look on the other side here of the box score, you touched on Draymond there missing some free throws. You know, I looked at his stats here. He was 2 of 12 from the field. I like to see the 12 shots. I like that aggressiveness from Draymond. But four of those shots were from beyond the arc. And there is no reason Draymond should be shooting four threes in a game. And I can guarantee you, if you ask him that same question, he's looking at that and being, why the hell am I shooting four threes in a game? So he's got some things to clean up. But I love the aggression. I like to see that he's taking those 12 shots because that changes the way the defense has to react. And it just helps the team have, hopefully, some easier and open looks. Um, You know, other guys, just to point out here for the Warriors, I thought Wiggins, he had a very solid game. A very quiet 20 points that he produced here on 8 of 15 from the field. Um, He was just solid for them. Their number two scorer here. And then obviously Curry um, was, in my opinion, the best player on the court. And it wasn't even in question. Makes seven threes for the game. Drops 34 points. It just was the lack of defense here for them in the fourth quarter. The complete collapse that the Warriors displayed. It's going to be a very, very interesting series as we both know. Yeah, the defensive connectivity for the Celtics is just so much more than the Warriors uh, right now. And the Celtics have been showing it for about six months now. The lineup of Smart, Brown, Tatum, you can either throw in Grant or Robert Williams and Al Horford. Those guys, their rotations, their double rotations help all across the court, switching everything. They are just a masterpiece to watch, especially when you watch off-ball. And the Warriors run more actions than any team, and the Celtics are able to figure it out and make sure that they're not in bad position. The Warriors getting contested shots. Uh, You mentioned Draymond shooting 12 shots. 
partially because so many of the other guys were fully covered that he's kind of the last uh, last line on, on the rotation offensively. Um, you, you talked about Curry being awesome. He really was. That first quarter was just a masterpiece. But I look at his minutes, 38 minutes, and the starters didn't get pulled until the last minute. So even if you say he finished out the game, that's about 39 minutes. I think, I mean, this is the NBA Finals now, Wes. We need to have these guys playing 42 to 44 minutes. If if uh, you got to play your hearts out uh, here in the last series of the season. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think we're going to see some of these guys hit in an eclipse that 40-minute total as this series moves on. But we also got to remember, Curry was in a bit of foul trouble early in this game. Three fouls in the first half. He got pulled a little bit late. They were just trying to probably be cautious that he didn't pick up some silly fouls, which we know he can do with his ADHD that he's got out there on the court. But the Celtics did not have Curry figured out in the first half. He was getting just absolutely wide open looks. Walk in, step in threes, in transition. It was very baffling to me like um hello this is Steph Curry what are you doing there should be some sort of rotation if anything there should be two guys on Curry instead of no guys on Curry (laughs) so it was very uh confusing early on in the game the Celtics defense uh defensive attention that they had to the best player on the opposing team but the Warriors are gonna need some other guys to step up and one of those is going to be Jordan Poole I was extremely disappointed with what I saw from Jordan Poole in this game. Plays 25 minutes, two of seven from the field, only nine points. Four of those points came from the free throw line. But to me, it was the four turnovers. He was very, very soft with the ball, very loose with the handles. And we saw a time or two where Marcus Smart just ripped the ball away with extreme ease. And Poole's going to need to tighten up those handles if he is going to be responsible for ball handling duties here with the second team and, uh, you know, taking care of that ball when Draymond and Steph Curry are not on the court. So he's definitely going to be someone my eyes are going to be tuned to as this series continues because he's an important piece, part of the Splash Brothers, the third member, the pool party, as everyone's wanting to, you know, name him here. He needs to step up. He's a young player, but they need him if they're going to try and take this championship. Yeah, the moment seems too big for him in game one. Uh, you mentioned the four turnovers, but it was the terrible defense for me that was the really the worst thing about his game. I mean, Jalen Brown is driving right by him, and that led, that led to Jordan Poole having a game-worst minus 19 plus minus. I mean, there's a clip where Brown had his really nice take for that sweet little lefty uh, layup finish. But he just goes right by Poole, and Curry like puts his hand up like, dude, like what's going on with that defense? And it's going to be, uh, like, like we talked about Luka earlier on his defense, Poole's uh, you know, a level or two below that. So uh, he's got a long ways to go on that end, and he's just going to need to just do it all by heart from here on out in this series. I think... He thought he was a bit of a higher status player after the first uh, round or two of these playoffs, and uh, especially on the end of the regular season. But I think we know now that he can score with some, with the best of them uh, at, at some points in time, but he doesn't have the consistency, doesn't quite have the smarts, and he needs to seriously improve on the defensive end. Yeah, there's something that his veterans need to tell him about playoff hard fouls. 
that's a situation where you don't give up easy layups and you just whack the shit out of somebody and make them earn it from the line. I'd rather see that from Jordan Poole than the ghost and marauder move <laughs> of letting the guys go right by him to the hoop for a layup jam. Um, like you said, he's he's a very young player still, and he was getting a lot of praise here late in the season and early in the playoffs for what he was doing. You know, much deserved, but just need to keep that level head and continue to grind and show yourself to be a consistent player. Uh, you know, there can be a lot of things you take from game one and a lot of ways that it might sway people. But in the grand scheme of things, this is one game in a seven game series. The Celtics definitely showed out well in the fourth quarter, but there's a long way to go. There's going to be a lot of adjustments made here as this series continues on. One thing we do know is that this is going to be a fantastic series. Everyone thought it was going to be, and I think after one game, we absolutely know it's going to be an amazing NBA Finals. It really is. And I got a couple of questions on the game for you. Just kind of quick hitters. Tell me what you think. But first of all, this one's, a little easy, but uh, do you think the Warriors collapsed in this one, kind of lost the game, or you think the other way around and it was the, how well the Celtics played? I think it's a bit of both. Celtics made shots. I mean, they made nine threes in the fourth quarter alone. So that you have to credit the Celtics for that. But there was also a stretch where the Celtics went on a 17 nothing run and the Warriors did not score for five minutes. So there is also the Warriors to blame. So I put a little bit of blame on both sides or credit the Celtics and blame the Warriors for for what occurred here in the fourth quarter. But only 16 points in a quarter, that's not going to do it for you. I picked the Celtics in this series in six. I'm feeling pretty good about that. I believe you picked Warriors in seven. How are you feeling right now? Uh, I mean, I feel less confident than I did uh, going into the series and obviously less confident than I did after three quarters of this game. <laughs> but there is a lot to be said for the championship DNA that these Warriors players have. Um, there was some clear schemes that you could see that they were trying to do to force other players to shoot shots and make shots. And you just have to credit the Celtics. They made those shots here in this game. The Warriors were a little slow on some of those defensive rotations. So you could see that there's going to be some tightening up to do on that side of the ball here for the Golden State Warriors. This one was inspired by uh, our, our podcast a few weeks back with, uh, with, with Luke and Terry. Luke had said that this might be the weakest Warriors team uh, to make the finals. And, you know, early on in the run before KD showed up, you know, Clay and Draymond were, I don't know, roughly like the 10th to 25th best players in the league probably at that time. They were both amazing uh, perennial all-stars. Now, I don't know, Draymond's maybe like the 30th to 40th best player. Clay is, I don't know, 60 to 80. Uh, where, where are you thinking about those guys? And do the Celtics possibly have five of the seven best players in this series? Oof. Um, I don't know if I ranked play that low just to speak on 60 to 80 I still think he's a top 50 player even at this marginalized version of himself but I that might also just credit how good a lot of players are in the NBA you know we already yeah. talked about it here the the growth of the young stars there's a, a tremendous amount of talent right now here in the NBA so part of the reason he's probably fallen down the ladder and the hierarchy but you can obviously make the argument that the Celtics might have five of the top seven players in the series 
you could say that. Um, and, you know, a lot of people probably wouldn't disagree with you. I mean, obviously a little hot takey with all of them ahead of Clay, but we know Curry is right at the top of that list. Draymond's in there somewhere, but the guys like Robert Williams, Horford, Smart, along with Clay, those are probably all a pr- pretty good question mark. I think we saw Jordan Poole probably a little bit behind that group right now, even though he's got really high potential uh, in the future. So interesting thought thought uh, there, but we'll see how the series progresses. Uh, game two, Wes, is on Sunday. What would you guess the opening spread is? Um, I would assume the Warriors are probably still favored in this game, but it's probably much less than the three and a half, four points they were favored in game one. So I'd probably say a one and a half point favorite for the Warriors would be my take here. They ran it right back. Warriors by four, game two. Okay. I mean, you would assume here that the Warriors are going to come out with an extra bit of motivation and determination because you cannot go down 0-2 heading back to Boston with Boston having the potential to close out the series and this NBA Finals never coming back to the Bay. So this is an absolute must win here for Golden State to tie the series up and head to Boston, uh, you know, tied up 1-1. So I'm excited for Sunday. I think it's going to be another exceptional basketball game with uh, more high-level competition. It's just going to be who's making shots. I would highly guess that we would not see both these teams combined for 40 made threes <laughs> in game two. I would... um Chalk that up to under 40 made threes in game two for the both these teams. A real hot take on that one. <laughs> uh, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more defense in general. I thought the Warriors defense was like Swiss cheese on many parts of this game. Uh, we know that they have a lot of defensive talent. I think their rotations were a little bit off. They're going to make a lot of adjustments with that in game two. Uh, I, think, I think that's kind of an advantage of why Celtics won game one was they – already knew their what their lineups they wanted to run with. Uh, I think it's a quick adjustment for the Warriors, who have historically been quite good at doing that as the series has gone on. So it's going to be a different game, too, for sure. But I love this series, man. This is a great finals matchup. This is a fantastic finals matchup. I mean, I think the Warriors opened the series as the favorite to win it. Now, clearly, the Celtics are favored to win it. But you could have told me at the beginning of the series that the Celtics would win this, and I would not be shocked because they have fantastic, you know, talent all the way up and down the roster. And it's pretty clear with their main two stars, you know, their elite wings with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum here. Uh, you know, Jalen Brown's going to have a lot of opportunities to score. He's going to probably get the bulk of the shots like he did here in game one. And he put his skill on display. I mean, he's extremely athletic. Um, I was concerned about Clay's ability to stay with him. There were moments where Clay was able to stay with him, and then other moments where Jalen Brown was too much to handle for Clay uh, Thompson. But Brown has a really nice jab, step, step back, and his ability just to elevate over any potential defender is going to give him a lot of clean looks. It's just going to be, is he going to make them? Or are they going to rattle out? So something to watch for here as the series continues. Does Clay stay on him? Do we see maybe Gary Payton second check in and get some minutes here on some of these wings? We're going to have some things to figure out. But I'm going to be tuning in for every possible moment. 
<laughs> I'll be there right there with you. Completely agree on uh, Jalen Brown. This is kind of his showcase. Uh, I've always not been the biggest fan of his, but he's showing a lot. Uh, like you said, he's going to have to be a major, major contributor, especially offensively with how much attention Tatum's drawing. But it's going to be awesome. Can't wait for Sunday. Uh, five Pacific, eight Eastern. Going to be an awesome game. Uh, before we go, last bit of news. We actually had a number of different coaching news uh, come up over the last week or so. Um, before that, NBA draft is less than three weeks away, Thursday, June 23rd. So everyone mark that on your calendars. Uh, but the biggest story in the front o- was a front office move as Tim Connolly, who was the president of basketball operations for the Nuggets, has been hired away by the Timberwolves in the same position for a massive five-year, $40 million deal with some potential kickers as well. Um, He had kind of completed his build in Denver. They got Murray, Porter, and Jokic locked up in major contracts. So it was just kind of a fringe uh, fringe moves from there. He decides to take on this huge opportunity in Minnesota to see if he can build a winner around Towns and Edwards. Yeah, and that's going to be the big question here is what are they going to do with Carl Anthony Towns? Because he is up for a super max contract. And the question is, is he worth it? Has he shown enough to be a super max player? That's a big question. Is he a believer in Towns as the focal point and you know main hub of that franchise moving forward but as you stated here this is a good a good organization to be jumping into right now there's a lot of promise a lot of hype around this very young minnesota timberwolves team and there's going to be some moves to be made so i think they brought in someone who has shown himself to be an absolutely master in his role you said he got a very lucrative contract those um Kickers, I heard, for ownership stake are maybe more lean towards uh, kickers as far as what occurs with the value of the franchise. So if that value of the Minnesota Timberwolves increases, that's going to be more po- you know, more money in the pocket here for Mr. Connolly. But he's out here making moves already, bringing some other pieces aboard as far as you know people within the front office. So they have some things to figure out. This is absolutely a team to keep your eye on here moving forward over the next two to three seasons because they're trying to climb their way up here in the Western Conference. No doubt about it. And that piece he added was uh, Magic Executive Matt Lloyd. He becomes his senior vice president of basketball operations, so kind of his number two guy. So big day for for the the former Magic Executive Matt Lloyd. Um, In Denver... Calvin Booth, who was the GM under Tim Connolly, just got promoted to Tim Connolly's position. So they hire within on that one. A nice day for Calvin Booth. Um, then the biggest coaching news was Darvin Ham, who he became the new head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. And this is a coach that I've been clamoring to get a job for the last couple of years. He, he was an eight-year former pro uh, coming off the bench for actually the 2004 Pistons title team. Um, then he started out coaching for the G League, then coached as an assistant for the Lakers back in 2011-2013, moved on to the Hawks for five years, and then, of course, most notably the last four years, the lead assistant for the Bucks, including winning that championship with Giannis. 
Yeah, I mean, this is well-deserved. He's put the time in. He's been in very successful situations, um, shown himself to be extremely dedicated to his craft here. To me, though, this matters very little because the L.A. Lakers have a lot more problems than just the head coach. I don't think, honestly, in my opinion, whoever they brought in is going to be very successful at this moment because they have a lot of free agents out there. They have very little money to spend on acquiring other talent with all of their money locked up between Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James. You know, they have some free agents as far as Malik Monk that they would probably like to bring back, but he himself is requesting a $15 million contract, which is absolutely bogus. Um, We're going to have to see. There's a lot of things to figure out, and all I know is that the sparkle of L.A. is not as bright as it once was. So they need to polish themselves up, find a way to you know, make some, make some moves. Um, but I'm rooting for Ham. Uh, we, we, all we want is success for these young coaches and to prove themselves to be as wise as we hope they are. <laughs> Agree there. And uh, another young coach who last year uh, was on the Kings, Luke Walton, he has been hired as an assistant coach under uh, J.B. Bickerstaff's uh, group. So nice little appointment for Luke Walton, who might be done as a head coach, but as a top assistant, you can get paid real well for a lot of years. <laughs> Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I think this is his future from here on out. He'll probably be a top-level assistant moving forward. I think he's had his his opportunities here with a few franchises and just hasn't shown the promise uh, that you might hope for a young coach. But he's still extremely young himself. You know, there's a possibility of a decade down the line that he might get an, an opportunity. But this is a great situation. I think we all know this. There's a lot of promise and a lot of hope right now in Cleveland for what they have going on, you know, what they built this year as far as seeing the growth from Darius Garland. Obviously, the promise that Evan Mobley has showed as a rookie. Uh, Jared Allen looks like a fantastic piece there. So this is a great situation, um, a good place to be, and we're going to hope for uh, continued success here for Cleveland moving into next season. Absolutely. So continuing success for, for Cleveland. We can't wait. For game two of the finals, we're hoping that's successful in terms of a close matchup. And we will for sure be back next week for our podcast, hopefully between games two and three. No more two-week absences from us. Uh, We again apologize, but please don't forget to follow us on Twitter at the MSNBA pod and on Instagram at Moving Screen NBA, episode 50. Episode 50 in the books. We appreciate y'all. Thanks, everybody.